Hey everyone, how's it going? It's Connor, and I'm back with a new episode, episode number 22 of the podcast, Money and Plants. This is a show where I get to talk to some really interesting people about some of the big ticket items affecting your life and my life. On this episode, I'm delighted and I'm thrilled an old mate of mine has come back onto Money and Plants. I speak to the rogue trader, the infamous Mr. Nick Leeson, the guy who bust the Queen's Bank almost 25 years ago. Nick has been on the podcast before. He was my very first guest way back in April on Money and Plants. That was over eight months ago. I couldn't believe it this morning whenever I looked at this, but it was over eight months ago, right at the start of the pandemic. If you remember, the pandemic broke around about March time and Nick was my first guest on the show. So eight months has passed and I thought it was time I caught back up with Nick. Nick and I go back a number of years. He's a good friend of mine. He's a fascinating character. He's got a new business going, Bull and Bear Capital. Have you checked it out? Go and have a look. Nick puts up some daily briefings on LinkedIn and Twitter around the markets, the global economy. If you're in business, and you're interested in what's going on around you, I think you should give Nick a follow. That conversation coming up with Nick is in a few minutes' time. Before that, I'm going to share with you some of the things I've been thinking about over the last seven days. This past week I've been thinking about lots of things. There is plenty on right now. We are quite busy at work. Uh, One of the things I did want to share was about 10 years ago uh, I left private practice and myself along with my business partner James we set up a recovery business, a restructuring business. And the reason we did that in 2010 was we felt that there was a lot of pain out there in the business community and we felt that we had the tools and we could put together a team of people who could actually help businesses get through the last crisis, the last global financial crisis. And thankfully, we have done that. And over the last 10 years, we've built quite a successful debt uh, business and funding business. And GDP Partnership is now really well known and well established 10 years on into the marketplace, which is which is really good. Uh, the best part of it for me was we have been able to help so many people. I suppose about two months ago, uh, I was speaking to James and we felt compelled to reorganize ourselves, given the fact that we have a lot of the skills and the tools uh, from the last time, we have the muscle memory from the last crash, we felt that we should relaunch and reposition the GDP partnership business in January time, which is literally in a couple of weeks time. So what we're actually doing, you're hearing it here first on the podcast, we are relaunching our GDP partnership business. And what we are doing is we are bringing the pandemic recovery team to the marketplace in January time. And if you keep an eye on our website, it's gdpni.com. Basically what we're trying to do is we're looking for business owners, entrepreneurs who are feeling the pinch, who are under pressure financially, uh, emotionally, who are really struggling to get through the crisis. I think what has happened in 2020 is given the fiscal levers uh, that the government have put out there in terms of the uh, quantitative easing, the amount of money that's, that's in the system, we have been insulated somewhat in terms of the damage and the economic impact of COVID. But I would certainly see that starting to play out in 2021. I think there's going to be a huge increase in unemployment. Lots of businesses, unfortunately, are going to fail. Um, the insolvency world will kick off again. 
And all we're trying to do at, at GDP partnership with our pandemic recovery team is try and save and refinance and restructure as many businesses as possible. Hopefully my name's good, James's name's good, our brand is good, our logo is the Phoenix, it's rising from the ISIS. So forgive me, but I've been really busy this week uh, looking at the website and the branding. So the pandemic recovery team will be launched in January. So keep an eye out for that. The other thing I wanted to talk about in this part of the show was the discussion, the ongoing discussion about a unity referendum and a united Ireland and an all-island economy. Earlier this week, I was invited onto a meeting with a number of uh, business representatives and it was really to talk about the economic arguments for a united Ireland. I think what's really interesting is, you know, I'm 43 years of age and, and there was no chat of really, like really there was no real chat of a united Ireland or a unity referendum up until the Brexit decision in 2016. And I think from then, what we are seeing as, as this is a really interesting time, you know, they're about to hopefully do a deal here between Europe and the UK. But ultimately what, what's going to happen is post-January, Northern Ireland are going to be outside of the European Union, but we are going to border a European Union country. And I think the dogs in the street on the street know that the unity referendum is unavoidable. And if you look at the Good Friday Agreement, which was struck almost 25 years ago, it's in there in black and white. That should the British government think that there is enough people in Northern Ireland who want a united Ireland, then they have to trigger a referendum. So my own view is that there's probably going to be a referendum on the island of Ireland before 2027. So, you know, there's six odd years, in my view then, to prepare, discuss, challenge, the arguments for and against. And there's two things going on here. Um, this week, uh, I listened to the economic arguments for United Ireland. And the honest, my honest assessment is I am very aware of a lot of the economic arguments for an all-island economy, for a United Ireland. And my honest assessment, I think I'm ahead of a lot of people here because I have had access to the data and the information. I've been looking at this for a couple of years. But my own view would be that that case is going to be pretty straightforward to make. You know, if I was making the case for an economic uh, United Ireland, that, that Ireland will be better as one economy, as one country from an economic standpoint, I personally believe that that case is going to be more straightforward to make. The challenge then I see is that those people who are advocating whenever the time comes for Northern Ireland to remain part of the union, I genuinely think that that case is much harder to make. And the reason I say that is because I actually understand the numbers. I understand the figures. I know the figures. I've done quite a bit of research into this. I would make two book recommendations at this point. The first is Mr. Paul Gosling, the financial economist. He has written a book called A New Ireland, A New Union, A New Society, A Ten-Year Plan. That's a really, really good book that Paul has written about the cost of Northern Ireland, the cost potentially of an all-island economy, of a united Ireland. He talks about some of the thorny issues around a health service. Will we have an NHS type setup? Would a united Ireland provide for health service free at the point of entry? All of those issues, all of those discussion points will play out over the next two or three years. The second book that I would recommend on this, if you want to increase your knowledge in this, and I suggest that you should, is the uh, 
Barrister Richard Humphreys, who wrote a book called Beyond the Border, The Good Friday Agreement and Irish Unity After Brexit. A lot of this stuff has already been agreed in the Good Friday Agreement. And I think what needs to happen is that those people who are articulating uh, a position of a united Ireland and an economic, uh, building that case around the economic arguments, I think they're well ahead of the other side of the room then, which is those people who are going to be advocating for Northern Ireland to remain in the Union. I think that's a harder case to make, but the challenge I see for that group of people in that side of the room is I'm not hearing or seeing anyone who is standing up to put themselves forward to make that case. And I think what needs to happen, particularly within unionism, is that they need to identify a a group or a body of people and they need to start working on this very, very soon. Because what I do know is that you know, time is moving very fast. The world is changing. The Republic of Ireland economy is one of the top performing economies in Europe right now. And the status quo in Northern Ireland is completely unsustainable. The idea that Northern Ireland keeps ticking along with a 10 billion quid subvention from London over the next 10 years, for me, is simply not going to happen. I think people won't stand for it. So anyone then advocating for Northern Ireland to remain in the Union needs to build that case, they need to draw it up and they need to present the argument because the chaps and the people and the ladies here building the case on the other side of the room, I think, are well ahead. That's what I've been thinking about this week. I hope you enjoyed that. Again, it's a thorny enough issue, but I'm, I'm happy to tease it out. And actually, actually, I, I hope to run a series on the podcast about this very issue. And that's something that I will be bringing to you in the new year. It's now time to speak to this week's guest and I'm absolutely thrilled and delighted and I was really pleased to speak to Nick Leeson, the rogue trader. Earlier this week we caught up on lots of things. Nick obviously was on the podcast on the 13th of April. I couldn't believe this morning whenever I looked at it that's over eight months ago. So we've lots to talk about, lots of stuff has happened in between times. Nick is a brilliant guy. Um, I've known him now for quite some time. We used to work together in Dublin. And if you you don't know Nick, Nick is the guy who bust the Queen's Bank, Bearings Bank, in 1995. He ran up losses. Wait for it. £862 million worth of losses he ran up. He was 28 years old. And at that time, he was sentenced to six and a half years in prison. It was really an incredible tale. It's an incredible story. Nick has lived to tell the tale and he tells it very, very well. In this conversation, I speak to Nick. We talk about what's happening in the economy. We talk about his company, Bull and Bear Capital, what they do. We talk about the impact of COVID when we think things might return to normal. The vaccine gets an issue. We even mention Man City, which unfortunately I I brought into the conversation. So look, it's a really wide ranging conversation. I finish up the conversation on something which I think is really important that I mentioned here in the introduction. We talk about how do we deal with hard times in life? How do we deal with depressive moments? Every one of us gets down. Every one of us feels down. I think every one of us suffers from some kind of mental health challenge all of the time. And and the question I put to Nick was, how do you deal with that? Like, what's the best way to deal with those days? And I have talked about this in my books. And if you go to my website, connordevine.com, if you follow my health story, you will know that I'm quite vocal in this. But, you know, Nick has been in prison for a long time. 
he has actually fought uh, cancer twice and overcame cancer twice. He had to deal with that whole stress of being the world's most wanted man over 25 years ago. He bust the Queen's Bank, nearly a billion quid of losses. So, you know, this is someone who has went through an incredible amount of stress in his life. And, you know, it was just really wonderful with a really, really neat conversation, a really good spirit of conversation earlier this week. But it really was good to see Nick. Um, he looks really, really healthy. He looks quite lean, if, if, I, if I may say so. And he was smiling, you know, so it, it's just really good to see someone who's come through so much in their own life and then is able to very coherently speak to me, you know, chat about things, reflect on things. And finally, then in this introduction, share with us some of the tools that he has learned to deal with some of the anxiety and stresses that he has had to deal with in his own life. So that's coming up. The conversation was brilliant. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you get something from it. Let's roll the tip. Nick, how's it going? You're really welcome back on to Money and Plants. Actually, I was looking this morning. It was the 13th of April that we last spoke. You were the first guest on the podcast and it was almost eight months ago. Hard to believe that time has, has, has went so fast. Um, how have you been keeping personally? First, before we kick off, how have you been doing over the last eight months in, in Galway? Yeah, all good, Connor. To be honest, it's uh, I suppose with everybody, you um, you have to get used to the twists and turns that we have with the uh, with the pandemic. It's certainly not a straight road. So um, you know, from a business perspective, it's it, it's been reasonably good. From uh, you know, from a personal perspective, you you know, your family. I suppose I have an advantage over most people. I spent four and a half years in prison in Singapore, so a bit of isolation and a uh, and a bit of lockdown isn't isn't something new to me. So mentally, I think I'm, you know, probably more prepared than most people for for, for some of the issues that you might fa- might have faced during that period. Um, but I think you know, family obviously find it a little bit more difficult. It's about getting used to that new norm, and and that's tough. You know, it's tough for anybody. Um, you, you know, I think you need to be comfortable with yourself and with your um, and, and, and being with yourself because I think that's what um, that, that's what lockdown has meant for most people and, and with the people that are immediately around you so I think you know the transition into that isn't something that people find too easy but for me it's been you know it, it, it's not a case of going back to where I was but I you know I'm comfortable with myself and my own company which I think not everybody is, you know, and and you kind of have to get to that stage to pass through this difficult period as easily as you can. Okay, well, I don't want to to give you too many compliments on 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 this uh, in this conversation, but you are one of the most resilient uh, persons I know, and I do know quite a few. Um, just yeah, it's been it's been a really interesting time. I I suppose you always you always do this, but eight months it it has really flown by, and it and it sort of hasn't because whenever you're living it day-to-day, month-to-month, it goes quite slow. But whenever you reflect, I mean, so much has happened in the last eight months. But like, in terms of your own business, so my own business has been hugely interrupted, disrupted with COVID. I know you're one of the most highly sought-after speakers on the international speaking circuit. You speak all over the world. And then you've got your new business, which is Bullenberg Capital. But very briefly, on the speaking side of things, have you transitioned to online? Or what, what? how has that impacted you? No, no, I haven't. Is, is the honest answer. It's um, you, you know, I'm one. Of, I'm one of those people that needs to feel feel the love a little bit. So I like a room that you can 
I like a room that you can respond to and laugh at your jokes and you can get some feedback. That's tough online when you're looking at 50 people on Zoom and they're all sort of like tiny little images and you're trying to work out if any of them are laughing. It just, I don't, I don't know, it doesn't, it, it doesn't work for me. And, and then you just, you know this yourself as well. If, if it's not working for you, you then think you're failing to deliver and you start to then question yourself. So no, I haven't, um, I haven't actively been seeking things online. There's a couple of companies that I do stuff or have done stuff for over the years who've, who, who really transi transitioned well to it. Um, so I've done a couple of panel discussions. And, uh, but for me, it's kind of, I don't know, I find it kind of boring, Connor, to be honest with you. I much prefer to be there in person and, and you know, socialising and interacting with people and doing a Q&A. And it just all seems a bit clinical, I suppose, is the word. You know, when you go into a hospital and everything's clean and in, in the right place and everybody's being very PC and, uh, and I don't like it as much. So no, it's, um, so, so that, that side of it's been very tough. Um, you know, obviously I'm not flying, I haven't flown anywhere since I, I went to Spain in at the beginning of March for my parents-in-law's 50th wedding anniversary. You know, we were fairly quick into lockdown when we came back. So I haven't flown anywhere um, since then. And, you know, I'm hoping that the, um, you know, the live in-person appearances will start again probably in March. Um, you know, I've got a chance of maybe going out to Dubai to do something in January or February. But it's, yeah, it's very, very quiet. So a huge, huge hit financially in that regard. Yeah, I think it's. I think you touched on something. Um, I want to finish up the conversation and getting into a little bit more. But that that loss of connection is is something that lots of people are talking about. I think we're we have Zoom fatigue. We have you know COVID fatigue. We're we're, we're fatigued with everything right now. Uh, yeah. I, I think people are now ready to get back into the office, back to travel. There, there seems to be a mood shift, although we have to move forward with caution. But no, I would, I would echo, that's what I'm getting a lot from a lot of the people I'm speaking about. People are just sort of getting totally pissed off with where things are right now. And, and obviously the, the impact on everyone's business has been catastrophic for, for so many people. In terms of Bull and Bear Capital, we, we talked about this just before we started recording, but what, what, are, you, what are you doing with Bull and Bear? I mean, I, I follow you every day. You, you're up early in the morning or else you're paying someone to get up early and post <laughs> on Twitter and LinkedIn, which is probably what you're doing, right? But uh, I, I'm joking. But you are posting some really interesting stuff online, and anyone in business, I think, should follow you on LinkedIn and on Twitter in terms of where the markets are. You're talking about the vaccines. You're talking about the economy. You're talking about you know the presidency, uh, the Biden impact, all that sort of stuff. So, like, what what are you doing with Bull and Bear Capital right now? Well, it's I mean, it's a lot of people are experimenting. I suppose is is a good way word to use in. Um, you know, finding other ways that they can generate other income. And one of the things that I suppose has happened over the last 10, 15 years is a lot of people have got involved in trading CFDs and, um, and spread betting uh, on the financial markets, which is what I do. And it's, a, you know, it's a, an extenuation of what I did years ago. So it, it's just really helping them through that process, a bit of mentoring, uh, show the trades that I take successful and and not so. I think what you find um, on, on social media is that, you know, a lot of people talk about their successes and, and are very good at showing them, but, you know, not too, deep, not too many people show that you can get caught out as well. So, 
you know, it's very transparent and, and, and people enjoy it. And like you say, I do a market comment in the morning. We do, um, we do some trade reviews and things like that so that people can see, you know, what my thoughts are on the market. You know, they're not unique to me. Some, some of the, some of the parts are, but yeah, it's just, uh, you know, sometimes I, I bring in what's happening locally into it, but it's, it's a, it's an, a picture, if you like, of the current situation. It's a daily basis as well. So it changes every day. Excellent. No, it's, 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 it's been enlightening for me. Like, I mean, from, from a personal perspective, over the last six to nine months, this, this pro- podcast project has been really, really a worthwhile exercise for me because I've had so many really interesting guests on, a lot of economists and that. But what I've found myself doing in the last six months is going outside my comfort zone for news and outside the island. So... One of the podcasts, I, I listen to uh, a lot of podcasts, but one of the podcasts I tap into, I think it's fascinating, you know, if you go on CNN, you get one perspective, which is the Democratic uh, Biden perspective. And then if you go on to Fox, you get a completely different take on things. And I think in business, it's really interesting to try and see both sides of, of what's going on right now. And I think, you know, economics is really the study of people and trying to predict human behavior. And I think a lot of what you're doing, if I'm reading your posts right in the morning time, is, you know, you are trying to predict what's happening right now, what might happen in the next three to six months if you're investing in the in these asset classes. Is, is that right? Yeah, look, it, I mean, you're right. It's a lot, a lot of what goes on is, is human behavior and about patterns repeating themselves. And obviously the, you know, the Dow Jones and the US markets at the moment are flying ahead of everywhere else. And um, yeah, it's just trying to work out what, what is the true impact of the pandemic going forward. Markets are very forward looking. Um, so they're not really so concerned about what's going on today. It's what's going to happen in a couple of months or so. So it's trying to predict that. And, you know, like I say, you get it right, you get it wrong as well. And, um, you know, it, it's about managing expectations within that as well, which I think, you know, I'm, I'm well able to do based on my, um, on, on my previous experiences as well. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really interested. I mean, when, if, if, if I was to give a very brief overview of what's going on right now, if, if you look at what's happening in the housing market across the UK and Ireland, right, the housing market is going from strength to strength. There's loads of, uh, lots of mortgage products available. There's been no real hit there at all. Um, you know, we haven't really seen, my, my view would be the, the, the economy has been insulated greatly in terms of the fiscal levers that, that has been, and the amount of money that's been thrown at this problem. But, you know, that person, that can't go on forever. Um, and, and I seen yesterday, I mean, I, I've sort of been talking about a NAMA 2 type scenario to bail out banks over the next 12 months. And actually, I seen the, uh, the Irish representative in the European Union is now talking about a number of new NAMA type vehicles being created to resolve and mitigate the European bad non-performing loan debt problem, which is on the horizon, right? I'm just, I'm just wondering, like, the markets are going strong, you know, if you were to look at this, things are not overly bad right now. When do you think, I mean, surely you've got, you have to agree with me, things are going to have to turn. There's going to have to be pain experienced here. You know, there's going to have to be unemployment. Or am I reading this wrong? Like, how do you see the next six to 12 months from an economic standpoint playing out? Yeah, it's, it's like you say, you hear so many different opinions. I always, I always joke that if you, you get 100 uh, economists in a room you'll get 50 of them on one side of the wall and 50 on the other and it's um, it, it's very difficult to make a decision based on the information that they're giving you and so a lot of it comes down to you know your your own personal observations and uh, 
you know, the more information you have in regard to that, the better. I'd agree with you. The elephant in the room is debt and, and, and how we work our way through that. Um, you know, there's been this printing of money that's been going on for uh, over a year. And we know from that when we worked together previously that, um, you know, that NAMA type situation was all debt related and kicking the can down the road. And I think there's a certain, you know, there's a certain amount of that going on at the moment. Um, you know, if you if you add more money to the system, it's going to be somebody else's problem eventually in two or three years. And and whether there is really that joined up thinking about how they're going to bring some of the money out of the system. But then you think you also hear many other people who are of the opinion that you know the money will continue to work its way through the system, and that you know companies will continue to or certain sectors of the economy. Uh, will continue to thrive, um, and, and and that may be the way. I mean, I was listening to a report from uh, J.P. Morgan yesterday, and uh, or from Jamie Dimon at J.P. Morgan, uh, and, and saying that he wouldn't touch bonds with a ten-foot barge pole. And there are, you know, there there are very much a, a, an asset class that they need in order to lend and do their business. But he's very focused on equities, and you know, it's not a broad-based move higher from here but there are sectors that will do well i you know you you walk down the road in galway and you look at the retail stores and and you know there, there's a bit of activity now because we're out of lockdown but come january february they're gonna they're gonna be thrown back um you know under the bus really and you you would expect there to be you know fairly wholesale unemployment at some point the pandemic payment lasts until march what happens after march do we all fall off the cliff come March the 1st or March the 31st. It's, yeah, it's, you do worry. Uh, and, and, and I think there is every cause to worry. Is that going to really impact the stock markets? I think the pandemic, you know, hopefully is under control. The, uh, the vaccines that are, are there are going to work. And as you said, people are going to get back to work and start doing things. Um, but I think there's going to be a lot of sectors of, the, uh, the economy and society that are going to be displaced because it's not, you know, there's not going to be the opportunities there that there were. Uh, and, and retail, for one, is, the, is one that sort of uh, shouts that at, for me, loud and clear. You know, people are buying things in, in, in different methods and the high street just doesn't look the same and I don't think it ever will. Yeah, I, I, I think you're touching something which is really important. I think, I think this... Uh, pandemic it's 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 been very sector specific I mean there's some businesses I know are flying that they're doing really well but but most businesses wouldn't be um, one of the things you mentioned there was the importance you talked about the vaccine and actually I think there's over 55 different vaccines now in, in trials um, and I think obviously there's with the first uh, vaccination there I think this week in Northern Ireland and I think actually Northern Ireland's the, the first country to rule it out but how, how important do you think it is, is it that we get uh, an effective vaccine in terms of obviously from a health perspective it's it's easy question to answer but from an economic perspective um, and the markets like how, how important is it that these vac vaccines work and more importantly then people actually take them? Yeah, look, I think it's vital. You know, I, I think we need to get back to that normality as, as soon as possible. And there was some, um, I think the Taoiseach was on, um, was on the radio this morning when I was in the car and he was saying that they, you know, by, um, 
uh, by March they or by Easter I think were his exact uh, with his exact date he expects he expects the tiers to reduce down to tier one tier two and things to start to improve people going to sports matches again attending events um, but he thinks that the period from January through to March is, is still going to be very very difficult so it is vital that the vaccines work and um, you know, I, I think it starts to, uh, and, and, you know, like my medical background is, uh, is non-existent, but I think as soon as you start to build that herd immunity, and I think vaccines are one way to, um, you know, I think the one, I was listening to a report this morning, and I think it was to do with um, the Oxford tests, um, which is probably the one that they're using in the UK at the moment. Um, the, um, you know, nobody developed any bad, uh, cases of COVID after taking the vaccine. So I think there are, you know, there are definite positives. And I think it's what the markets and what, what, what everybody needs, you know, we need to be able to start moving around again. I, I mean, I'm sure you've not been out of Belfast too much. I've not been out of Galway and it's, it's not normal. Um, and, you know, you, you, you know, my youngest is 16 and you look at him and he's stuck at home, um, you know, 24 hours a day, really, apart from going to school, he's not got that social, interaction or that camaraderie that we would have had playing sport or doing anything else and you know what's the long-term mental effect or mental health or health impact of that going forward uh, you know there is a generation that are in this you know dangerous area if you like in terms of their their development and uh, and those those sort of things were worrying me you know having a 16 year old especially yeah no i i think from from i have i'm sort of doing a lot of work and research into all of this kind of stuff and it looks to be that you know most people are hoping that come the spring early summertime you know we will be in a much better place yeah. uh, and a personal thing i i just think come the summertime and, and september back end of this year i've always said i think we'll be back to some kind of normality where we'll have people in football grounds even even manchester city might might, might be able to have fill their stadium again like that that would be that'd be a really good thing to say yeah. um <laughs> yeah there's no, there's no room at the moment Connor, with all the trophies that we've got <laughs> yeah yeah no, i know <laughs> i i accept that well look just uh, before i finish off i wanted i wanted to ask you about uh, a more serious topic because um i you know most people i'm speaking to with you're sort of talking to people every day and it's as if you know we've had enough punches in the stomach now and People are generally down and, and struggling right now. Uh, they've lots of anxiety, all sorts of issues going on internally in the home and, and, and with, with concerns around uh, the financial issues and the financial challenges down the road. So you were in prison for four and a half years. You were in a cell, um, six foot by nine foot um, in Singapore. And, you know, obviously uh, I, have, I, have, I know your story really, really well, but I mean, you've talked about this before, but how how can someone how would you encourage people to deal with the really bad dark days that that lie ahead or people who's maybe going through this at the moment they're struggling from depression negative thoughts bad thoughts like how did you come through you know your time in prison and you've had cancer twice you've had uh, incredible amounts of adversity and like can you share with us some of the tools that you use to get through and have got through over the over the years in your own life well, I mean, I think the, um, I mean, there's, there's a couple that are, you know, always very prominent and, and still very prominent for me today. I think the first thing that you need to do is, is learn to talk. 
um, you know, I, I, I think, uh, and that's probably, you know, more aimed at the male population than the female population of, of, of the world. But, you know, talking is a very, um, very powerful tool. And, um, you know, the more you internalize stuff and you try to deal with it and you fail to deal with it appropriately, the, the, the more that it starts to build uh, and bring, bring pressure upon you. So, you know, being able to talk is, is very, is vital. So communication, um, I think it's always, um, you know, based on my previous experiences when, when I was working in Singapore, you know, the second thing would be to always ask for help and advice. Um, you're surrounded by people that can help you. Um, you know, many of the people will have experienced similar things in the past and they'll be able to steer you in the right direction and just, I think communication is a is a um, is a seriously powerful tool, um, and you know not to be embarrassed by things and to explain your problems quite um, you know quite coherently and as as brutal as they need to be sometimes from time to time. And there is always a path through. It's not you know it's not something that you can always readily see, um, but there is some way that you will be able to work your way through that. And I think. You know, I, the, the, there's a few things that I dislike about the way that they've handled the pandemic. It's, you know, it's like a four-week lockdown and then they add another four weeks on, onto it. So managing expectations is, is crucial and, and, you know, managing your own expectations as much as people are trying to manage yours as well and, and focusing on something. There's always something, you know, there's always something in the future that you want to achieve or or, or reach in terms of a life goal and, you know, be that reuniting with a member of your family. It can be, you know, I suppose, uh, like w w when I wrote the book on stress years ago with, um, with the psychologist Ivan Tyrrell, you know, he, he ended the chapter, like success was a huge motivating force for me and being as, as successful as I possibly could. And, you know, if you, if, if you don't, again, if you don't control those expectations around success, um, they can work against you. And they certainly did in my case uh, during my time at Bearings. But um, I, I, you, I always, to this day, use the word success. But um, Ivan Tyrrell saw, saw it as my need for status. Um, and he, um, you know, and, and it was never controlled. Um, but I think it's important that you... You know, as much as you're looking for success, uh, that you 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 have a realistic expectation around what success is. So for me, you know, my unreal unrealistic expectation was always to be at the top of the organisation and making the big important decisions. But equally so, you know, you get success by putting food on the table for your children to eat. You know, so just manage those expectations. Don't be unrealistic about what you want to achieve. But have a goal, have a target. You know yourself from that, from from all of your sporting activities in uh, and how you conquer the challenges that you face. You you need that challenge, you need that focus, and you need that ultimate target that you want to achieve. And and just make sure that they're realistic, and you will you know you'll, you'll start to feel successful again, and you can uh, you can move forward. But you know, it, it is challenging, but picking up the phone to people and talking to people, I think is, um, which everybody can do, you know, is as powerful as anything that's out there. Yeah, no, I, I would, I would concur with all of that. I, I also, you, you, you touched on something at the beginning of the conversation. I do believe that, you know, if you do 
have the strength to come through um, parts of your life before, which were very, very stressful. It, do, it, it does allow you then to deal with other stressful events as, as you move through life. Those life experiences are advantageous, no yeah, doubt. Well, yeah, well, I mean, as we started this conversation, it's, it's about being comfortable with yourself, knowing who you are, what you represent. And if you're comfortable with yourself, whatever... You know, whatever situations might confront you in the in the future, you 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 are armed to deal with those because you know what you're capable of. So, you know, as as bad as the experience has been over the last six to eight months, it, it will stand to people's good in the future, I believe. Okay. Well, look. Before we go, um, I'm not sure if you've been playing around with your computer. This obviously goes out on audio, um, but you look quite lean. Uh, this is the leanest I've seen you, and or unless there's something going on with your software. But do you want to? Are, are you still Not one of those mirrors? Are you still tra training? Uh, what's your secret? I mean, you look a million dollars. Like, so what, what's going on? And, uh, I, I, I've got the spinning bike in the garage, right? So I enjoy I enjoy that, and I, I I often ride to work still at the moment. So I think the last time we spoke, I was riding to work. So I'm still. It's a lot colder now. So I'm I'm pretty cold by the time I get to work, but no, I enjoy it. it so is, you say cycling, uh, cycling to work. You're not doing a, a Homer Simpson. We go out the back door on the bike and you cycle around the front of the house and through the front door. Or are you like how far is it to work? Uh, it's not that far, but it's hilly. Right. Okay. Very good. You know, it's about it's about seven kilometres, and it's it's all right on the way here. I can freewheel it, but on the way back, it's all uphill. Well, look, it's, it's, it's actually really good to see you smiling and you're sponsored by Nike and you look a million dollars. Thanks for contributing. Um, I will speak to you again soon, but I really appreciate your time. All right. Take care, mate. It's always good to speak to my mate, Nick Leeson. Uh, it was even better, actually, to see him in really good form. He was in top form whenever I spoke to him earlier in this week. And I hope... I hope you got something from that conversation. As I said earlier uh, in this episode, you know, you should give Nick a follow. Most of my demographic are people who are interested in business in, in some shape, form or fashion. And Nick does post every morning. He's, he's constantly posting updates of what's actually going on in the economy. And I think that's really interesting and really useful. And I think it can help you, so you should give him a follow. One of the things I did want to mention here and pick up on was the fact that Nick alluded to in that he misses the whole idea, this whole idea of connection, of meeting with people, of speaking to rooms full of people, of engaging with people, talking to people, touching people. And I think that's something that uh, has been not spoken about too much. I haven't seen much chat about that, but I think it will come out over the months uh, and years ahead in terms of the actual impact, one of the most negative impacts of the pandemic is this loss of connection, this loss of interaction, the fact that for the most part we have been at home often and we haven't been able to go to work. Everyone's working from home and we're on Zoom and doing all those kinds of things. And I think that's that's okay for a period of time, but I, I just don't think it's it's the way forward. And I think it does have a really impact a really negative impact on, on people. And some people like Nick who's really, really resilient and has come through lots of, of adversity in his own life have the tools and are well equipped to deal with it but there are other people who I know who don't find it just as easy and I think it's worth mentioning in the podcast I think that's why I wanted to finish the conversation because 
you know, I've read a couple of Nick's books. I know he has written about this and he speaks about how to deal with challenging times and, and depression and anxiety, and I have as well. I'm quite uh, vocal on this. I'm, I'm an advocacy of, you know, the plant-based lifestyle of, of using uh, physical exercise and nutrition to, to fight uh, health challenges and to, to be well and to feel well. Uh, and that's something that I think Nick uh, articulated quite well in our conversation. Finally, if you enjoyed this conversation with Nick, please share it with one other person. Also, it would be super if you could give me a review wherever you get your podcasts. You can reach me at Connor at ConnorDevine.com. It's a couple of weeks to Christmas. I may or may not do another episode before the holiday period. Uh, if I do, it'll be out next week. Uh, if not, you know, feel free to send me a text or an email if there's something you think I should talk about on the podcast. I have got some ideas in the new year. I'm going to be bringing a different slant to the show. I just want to say thank you as well because this podcast will take me to over six and a half thousand downloads whenever I started the project in March. I had no idea how it would go, but thankfully, you know, my reach and the listening uh, demographic has grown week on week. And for me to get six and a half thousand downloads on the show is really, really good. So look, thank you, the listener. I appreciate it. I love all the feedback. Thank you very much. Look after yourselves the rest of this week and look after each other. Thank you. Sometimes I hate to say that I'm wrong Feels better playing